So how many light bulbs are there in this sanctuary? I think a sermon is a good time to count light bulbs, don't you think? Kristen, you probably know how many are in each of these uh, fixtures. How many? Seven in each times six. Who's got that number? 42. Okay. How many are over there, Wanda? Two over there. Okay. Four. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay. How about over this way? Micah, how many light bulbs do you see over there? Two. Okay. That's six plus 42, right? 48. And then we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 29, 29, plus 48, how many is that? 77. 8. 78. 78 light bulbs in this one room. And Jesus said, you all are the light of the world. Jesus did not mean you, one individual person. Jesus meant you all, everyone who's hearing me right now. You, the people of Israel, are the light of the world. All 78 light bulbs. This little light of ours. We get to let our light so shine before others that others glorify God in heaven. Together, we are the salt of the earth. Together, we are the light of the world. And the point of what Jesus is saying here is that who we belong to and why we are here, that makes all the difference. God chose us for a purpose. We belong to God for a reason. And this is what frees us to be who we are and to do what matters. Okay, so my wife Sarah and I, we met when we were in seminary in Chicago. We were friends for a long time, then we started dating, yada, 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 we got engaged. Not important. So actually, it was right around this time of year that we got engaged. We were in Chicago, like I said. We walked down to a park on the lake, and we exchanged rings with each other, and it started to snow. I mean, the, you know, match made in heaven, whatever, meant to be. So anyway, what, I'm, what I want to get to is that right off the bat, we chose a wedding date. We said, let's get married in the fall, off in September. We knew that we were going to be moving away from Chicago. We didn't know where we were going yet, but hey, we thought, let's move first, and then we'll get married. Great. Well, a few weeks later, we found out where we were going to be moving, and that changed everything. It wasn't the place so much, which was New Jersey. But it was just that knowing, knowing anything of the particulars shed a whole new light on that original plan. So we changed our minds and we decided to get married first 
and we set a new wedding date, June 3rd, which was 10 weeks away. I see some panic in your eyes. That's not panic, is it? No? <laughs> it was amazing. We had plenty of time. Who did we belong to? Why were we here on this earth in love? We planned this wedding together, Sarah and I, 50-50. It was our day, not Sarah's day, not my day, but our day. So we made it our own, and we went for it together. And more than anything, it was God's day, about God's love. So we focused on what mattered, worship, love, promises, being together. And we didn't worry about the rest. And we had our friends and our family all there to help us pull it off. So instead of a rehearsal dinner, we had a cookout on the lake in that same park where we got engaged with everyone who came to town early and could be there. People got lost finding their way through Chicago. The wind was cold coming off the lake, but we had a blast out there. And instead of tuxes and bridesmaids' dresses, we said, Men, you, you just wear a dark suit. Women, find a red or an orange or a yellow dress. They were perfect. And for flowers, Sarah got all of her college friends together, and they went to the farmer's market on the morning of the ceremony. They bought out all the peonies. The day was simple, beautiful, fun, a wedding in 10 weeks. So how does salt lose its saltiness? I want you to imagine a glass of water now for a minute, a, a tall glass, eight ounces. Imagine that I dropped just a single grain of salt in that glass, and then I gave it to you to drink. What would it taste like? Like water, right? Barb's like, it wouldn't make any difference. One, one grain, no grains. What if I dropped a whole teaspoon, or no, tablespoon of salt in that glass? Salt loses its saltiness when it's diluted. When a single grain goes it alone. Jesus said, you all are salt for the earth. I mean, this whole earth is one tall glass of water. But thanks be to God, the church across the world is one big tablespoon. So what about when we zoom in on that Google Earth and we're looking at the level of all saints? How much water is too much to salt? Or let's say broth. Nobody wants to drink salt water. How much broth can all saints flavor? For you. How much broth is too much for you to change the taste? We could have put it this way. Jesus said one lamp lights the entire house. How many houses are we trying to light up all by ourselves?
You know, following Jesus means swimming upstream. And it's pretty easy to get seduced or overpowered into simply going with the flow. Also, if we're, if we're too wrapped up in each other, what he or she should or shouldn't be doing, what they are getting wrong, then we have no energy left to resist that current. But we are salt. And we are light. God chose us for a holy purpose. And we belong to God for a reason. We are not God. We are not anyone's saviors. We're not even our own saviors. We are salt. We are light. And that means we aren't in control, but we can have an influence. We didn't choose the menu, but we can change the flavor. We are salt, and we are light. But salt loses its taste when it turns away from God. It's rock of salt. It's redeemer, sustainer. Who do we belong to, and why are we here? It's the law and the prophets that have answers to these questions. Jesus mentioned them. They are the way that God gives us flavor and clarity and brightness and power that's not our own. The law and the prophets are habits and practices and lifestyles that continually form and reform us as salt. And as light. So Jesus was clear. I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Jesus added to them. Jesus didn't subtract. And Jesus himself was seasoned with the holy recipes of God's loving law. Jesus was lit from the same holy spark as God's prophets, fiery prophets, weren't they? So that power of being chosen and belonging comes with an invitation to live in a particular way, to live the law, to live the prophets, to live them just like Jesus did. And that's what makes us different and useful powerful in God's hands. It's what makes us our full and true selves, set apart from the world, and yet together in God for the world. Through the law and the prophets, Jesus whispers and invites and soothes and provokes us. No, that's not who you are. You all are gods. No, that's not why you're here. This way, not that way. Salt, not saviors. Light, not losers. Every no makes possible a bigger yes. We are not 120 high-tech projectors in Sochi telling the story of Russia on the floor. 
We are 78 light bulbs in Davenport, shining God's light into the world. And of course, Jesus went on from there. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I love this line because it's so unexpected. I mean, given the way that we usually see scribes and Pharisees, they're the legalistic sticklers. They're the the people who couldn't see the forest for the trees. But in Jesus' eyes, that's not who they are. Not any more than we are, anyway. But what's true is that what it means to belong to God and to follow Jesus This is always contested. Difference and diversity and conflict are normal and natural, even in the church, even around scripture. There will always be some who are leaning in to generosity and others who are leaning in to accountability and still others who lean in to worship. And there will be those who's, who will find the key in the Gospel of Matthew, and others find it in Paul, and others Genesis. And isn't this great? Jesus seems to be saying. These differences are all a part of the whole of God's loving intention for us. And the friction between us about what they mean and what's most important This is part of what creates the light that we shine into the world. And so isn't it interesting that Jesus does not choose sides in this tug of war, so to speak, between the people and the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't say here to the people, you know, you're right. Who do those scribes and Pharisees think they are? Just ignore them. Not at all. Jesus said, you know, I wouldn't do it the way they do it. But I'd stop and listen hard to what they're saying. What Jesus said was, they're too selective, not too holy. Instead of going overboard, the scribes and the Pharisees nibbled around the edges. God's loving intention was so much bigger than the bites that they took. So who among us doesn't hear what we want to hear? But don't think that Jesus has come to make the life of faith any easier. Jesus came to make it harder in a way by reminding us of all the demands and invitations of a life of faith that we would rather ignore. Jesus invites us to aim higher. You are salt for the world. You are light for the earth. There's one last thing I want to say, and that's Jesus doesn't say, 
be salt or be light. Jesus says you are. You are salt. You are light. Like it or not, that's who we are already. Believe it or not, that's the purpose that God has given us. It's not something that we do or make or create. It's the truth that we respond to. God made us. God died for us. God lives among us now. Thanks be to God.